Hello, I'm Sam Abual Samad, Principal Analyst for Mobility Ecosystems with Guidehouse Insights. And uh, I'm joined today uh, for this conversation by Daniel Burrell, the founder and CEO of Re Automotive. Uh, Re is a very interesting uh, company uh, based out of Israel, developing um, a, a, a unique uh, electric skateboard platform uh, that can be adapted to a wide variety of applications. Uh, skateboards are not uh, not particularly new concept. Uh, they've been around at least 20 years going back to the GM autonomy concept, but um Daniel or uh, Daniel and, and his team at Re are doing something quite a bit different from what most of the other EV startups out in the field today are doing. And Daniel, welcome to the conversation. Um, pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you, Sam. Um, why don't we start off with um, you know kind of an introduction to Re and and what you're doing and, and your approach to developing an EV skateboard? Sure. So, you know. A skateboard actually exists for a long, long time. I think these days they call it train. And um, you know, it's, it's been a while. Um, but, but seriously, now, I mean, what we've, what we've done at Re is, is you know, we, we looked at changing completely the paradigm. And we were able to do that because we started from a clean slate of paper. We, we had no legacy business. We were uh, an EV company. So we were fortunate enough to be able to build what we're doing now from the ground up, um, inside out, whatever you want to call it, and, and design it exactly to what it needs. So what we were able to do is we understood that the platform, the chassis, the skateboard, if you'd like, is, is the basis, especially when you're looking at commercial vehicles, but also passenger vehicle, at the end of the day, the majority of the tech sits on the chassis side. But how do you actually build something that can take different shapes, kinds, uh, sizes, weights? Um, as we move towards more and more electric vehicles out there, the demand grows. And it's not only a niche market anymore, but it's all around. So we were exploring and looking for the past almost we, you know, we, we started this about ten years ago. For for many years, we we, we looked how to we looked at how to make it modular. How can you make something that, you know, changes its shape, its size, its 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 weight? And every time we came back to the same problem that if you do it traditionally, if everything is mechanically connected, you know, in, through half shafts, through uh, uh, um, uh, drive trains, and so on and so forth, then. The, Every time you try to change the dimensions of the vehicle, there's a ripple effect and you have to redesign everything over and over and over again. It makes it very, very expensive. Nothing new up until this point. So we've taken um, a decision which is a more of a tech company's decision, less than an automotive company decision, where we said, you know what? What if there are no linkages? What if there are no mechanical connections? And once we looked at that, suddenly it made sense then was the smallest thing left, which would be how do you actually create something that has no mechanical connections and complete freedom of design. And we spent about seven years under the radar, just under seven years, um, developing the X by wire, the re-corner technology, which is basically a full by wire system. So very similar to how planes fly today, by wire. So we've taken that from aviation and brought it into automotive. So we designed our re-corner, which is essentially everything that makes the car go. 
It has motor suspension, steering, braking, and it's all controlled by wire. So by computers, basically. So when you, Sam, for example, would hold the steering wheel like, like you know, we've done recently in, in Detroit when we allow people to drive our first vehicle, the Proxima, which is uh, um, Proxima by Re, which is a cooperation we have with uh, Morgan Olson and EVX, is, is people were turning the wheel, but the wheel is not mechanically connected to the wheels, right? It sends signals and the wheel responds. And each and every movement of that vehicle is exactly the same. And once you place those corners literally in space, you can also move them in space because they're, they're in the independent. Nothing connects them. So you can literally change the chassis and everything else, the body, the configuration and all that. Once we started doing that, we learned something interesting. Since there's nothing in between the wheels, the chassis is completely flat. It's very, very low because it's all confined within that uh, uh, corner, we call that. Uh, we're not using hub motors or the like of those, but it's very flat. It's uh, very, very low, which is a very big advantage in, in automotive, especially commercial vehicles, very low center of gravity, improved aerodynamics, uh, f- fully flat uh, uh, sealed uh, uh, floor and so on and so forth. So we basically now are deploying more and more vehicles uh, powered by ring. And I think the first one, I don't think, I, I mean, the first one that we've uh, launched is the P7 platform, which is designed to be uh, very modular, can take any kind of shape from class three to class six. And to prove that out, we, within less than a month apart, unveiled two different vehicles, one Proxima powered by Re, which is a class five walking van, and uh, P7B, which is a box uh, truck configuration, a cab chassis for a class three, built on the exact same corners and same capabilities, different chassis. Yeah, I think the the way that you have developed that corner module where everything is pretty much self-contained in there, all you have is some electrical and, and data connections to it is is really fascinating. You know, so can you talk in a little more detail about that and then how um, you know how that enables you to do the X by wire and and have have more flexibility to do and you in addition to the the two vans that you just mentioned you've also shown a small um, urban shuttle type of vehicle so it really sca- this 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 design concept really scales to almost anything. True, true, and and yeah, I actually love Leopard. That's a small one that we've unveiled, um, and. Um, Putting everything at the corner and controlling it by wire, with all honesty, it's not that complicated. It's called a remote control car, mm-hmm. and it can work. The problem is how do you make it safe? How do you make it automotive grade? How, at the end of the day, you put people inside. And this is where it comes to be very, very tricky, right? Because how do you ensure, for example, that the signal you send to the motor, what happens if it if it doesn't go through if it breaks what happens if your steering actuator breaks whatever happens if you lose power and so on and so forth right all those those safety events and this is where i think the majority of our 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 um, efforts have been aimed at because 
building a very safe, capable vehicle is, is, is what's important. So we had to build redundancies within those corners, right? And you have to have ample redundancies. Again, going back to the airplane example, I mean, think about it. You, you've got two uh, engines, the, the plane can still fly with one, right? So if, for example, you lose one corner, the vehicle still operates with three. And by losing a vehicle, it's very extreme because even with, uh, sorry, uh, one corner is extreme because uh, even within the corner, there are ample redundancies. And, and there's actually a, 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 a standard for that. It's called ISO 26262 at an ASL D delta level, which, which we're complying with. And then, of course, cyber protection to protect the vehicle and, and, and so on and so forth. And once you've done that, you, you're able to go and play with vehicle dynamics, which is really interesting once you've been able to do that. Because just think about it, having two separate um, um, wheels steering in the front or even four of them in a vehicle, you have perfect acumen. You have vehicle dynamics heaven to control a vehicle. And, and it's really important because I'll, I'll give you just two examples for that because you mentioned data. Data is key. Um, we um, generate thousands of data streams per second per corner. So that's, that's a lot of data. And we're utilizing that data to drive better and, and get to better decision making. And again, two examples for that would be if, for example, you're in a commercial vehicle, we can optimize the drive. Sometimes we will apply regenerative braking at different levels. Sometimes we would use torque vectoring instead of changing the, the uh, angle of the wheel. Sometimes in a you know, slippery environment, we'd be able to gain control and give it back to you as a driver and so on and so forth on that. In a passenger vehicle, you want to give a much better, smoother um, uh, feeling. You don't want to be surprised by the amount of torque the motor has because right, EVs have far more torque in, in, at, at the beginning of the drive. And, and the ability to control the vehicle dynamics in multiple levels is important. And we're doing all those examples by <clears throat> having a very interesting uh, um, um, array or, or um, you know, design of our ECUs. And, and we have actually a we have five ECUs in each platform, one in each corner, and a central one that controls them. So it's a zone architecture. So there's a proprietary um, communication protocol between the re center that sits in the center and the re corners in each of the wheels of the corners. And we're able to control it. And some of the decision making is done at the uh, corner level. And the high-level decision-making and vehicle dynamics is actually done at the center level. And that gives us a very, and we're, of course, we're doing it all in real time, right? So, so 100 hertz and up, real-time uh, decision-making and, uh, and, and application of that and, and action. So, you know, I would say blink of an eye, but that would be too slow. <laughs> uh, one of the, the interesting things, you know, because you're, 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 
architecture is so scalable. Um, but you've decided to really start with industrialization for larger commercial vehicles like the Proxima that uh, I had a chance to, to drive uh, a few weeks ago here in, in uh, Michigan. And the the level of maneuverability for this 24-foot van going through a slalom or parallel parking was just uh, amazing. But why, why have you chosen to focus um, on the commercial vehicle sector first? Well, that's a good question. Um, the honest answer is that that's the fastest path to make a change and strive to carbon neutrality. The ability to convert a fleet into electric fleet is much faster if done properly. And the effect on the environment by converting the largest fleets into EVs is huge. And this is why we decided to go there first. Now, you might ask yourself, okay, why have not those fleets have, have electrified their fleets, you know, up until now? Why, why it's moving so slow? Well, it, it, it's because it's, 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 it's not that easy to build commercial-grade vehicles, right? You drove the Proxima. It needs to take a lot of bidding every day and continue to operate and generate revenue for its owners. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of, to be very particular in, in the design and build of it, to offer the fleet something that meets and beats today's petrol and diesel alternatives. And and this is what we're doing. I mean, like you mentioned, you drove the Proxima and it's been on the... Um, uh, on the same week, a few weeks that we've um, demoed for quite a few customers. And I mean, you know, sitting there and listening to the voice of the customer and, and hearing how, how they love it and, and how how it's different than everything they've driven before. And that the fact that one adopted is, is, I don't think I can articulate, I mean, how it feels. You know, we've been working for 10 years for that moment. And there is no technology, technological barrier to moving to passenger vehicles or private vehicles. Um, I do think, though, that the, the bigger change in, on the environment would be to begin with, with commercial, because think about it, it's the backbone of our economy. These are the vehicles that put groceries in a supermarket, right? put delivers in, deliveries in on our doorsteps, drive every bit of our economy. So we want to make sure that we drive this to sustainability first and then moving on. And, and as you say, you know, from an environmental standpoint, it makes a lot of sense because those larger vehicles are using the most fuel. And so every, every little bit of incremental improvement there has a a much larger impact on fuel, on energy consumption than for a small vehicle that's already fairly efficient. Um, but there's another component, I think, for for commercial customers as well. You, you mentioned, you know, that the, you want the vehicles running all the time uh, to generate revenues and serviceability, uh, I think, is, is something where you potentially have a really huge advantage. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that's something that you showed us uh, in, here at, uh, at ACM a few weeks ago. So it, that's a very, very good point. So not only serviceability, but TCO, right? Total cost of ownership. On, on the commercial side of fleets, it, it's all about TCO. 
right? Because this is how you compare apples to apples. TCO, uh, you know, basically means that, um, it, I'll give you two examples, right? If, if I give you a vehicle that costs twice as much, but has zero running costs and zero maintenance, is it better or worse than a vehicle that costs half as much, but is hefty to, to you know, um, to maintain, it has a lot of downtime, you have to have different vehicles to replace and so on and so forth. So the industry came up with a model that compares Apple to Apple saying, hey, TCO, right? So it's the acquisition cost, the running cost, the insurance, there's uh, residual value and so on and so forth. Um, one of it is, and major point of it is serviceability. And since it's all in the corner, we, so, we thought to ourselves, why not do an F1 pit stop swim? Meaning, hey, if there's a problem in the um, corner, first and foremost, we can most likely, about more than 85% of it, address it via over-there updates. So we can address it without changing anything. But if we came to the extreme where we have to replace the corner, you pop up to one of our, the thousands of service locations we already have in the U.S. and, by the way, also in Europe, and you just change a corner. Like you change a wheel, take the screws out, put one in. It takes about 20 minutes. And then about 40 minutes, we'll do a, 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 um, all the bring up, handshake and alignment remotely. Everything from you say, hey, I'm the left uh, rear corner or whatever, right? And, and bleeding of the braking system and so on and so forth. And, and then give you the green light to go. So it's like an F1 pistol. You go in, you go out in less than an hour and, and there's no downtime. And it's, there's no special training because it's all done automatically and remotely. It's literally like changing a, 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 a wheel. Now, when we look at that, it, that the, the ability not to have, um, you know, extra vehicles in your fleet or replacement vehicles and, and even the spare part inventory is much easier. There's no spare parts. There is a spare part, singular. You just change a full corner with a full corner. We'll fix it on the downtime. There's no pressure. We can, of course, optimize the cost for that repair because there's no pressure on that, right? But there is no spare part. So even if you want to do the service by yourself as a fleet or you want to pop in into the service locations, they just pack corners and that's all. And, and, and it allows just because, you know, when you come up with a brand new design, this is how it should be, I think. I mean... Yeah, so you've you've made you've made the whole service of the vehicle essentially asynchronous from the utilization of the vehicle by you know having having that completely self-contained corner, swap it out in twenty minutes, another forty to calibrate it, and then the vehicle's back on the road. So minimizing downtime. Um, speaking, of, another aspect of using these you know using commercial vehicles is in in many of these use cases, the the drivers are often getting in and out of the vehicle sometimes hundreds of times a day. How does the the, the re-architecture help with that as well? Yeah, so, you know, we, we drive with our customers, some of which actually goes in and out 150, 170 times a day. That's, that's a lot. So we've done a few things that are really important for the driver because re-vehicles are very driver-centric. And the easier the driver can access in and out of the vehicle, the better for the driver, the more con uh, comfort the driver gains, healthy, but also they can deliver more packages. So what we've done is, for example, we have a very, very low stepping height. 
we we go as low as 20 inches stepping height, which is almost 15 inches, if not more than the standard today. And that's massive. Um, the um, uh, the ability for it to be completely flat. So if you've gone to traditional box tracks like Proxima Power by RE is is here to uh, replace. So the conventional uh, um, bo- boxing van has a 36 uh, inch step height. They have three steps. We are at 24 inches in that design. So it's two steps. And in in addition to that, it's completely flat throughout. So there's no stepping inside the vehicle as well, which they currently have. So loading and uploading of the parcels in the back is easier. So that's one. Second, um, you know, the ability to see and maneuver better. So Proxima Power by Re has about 70% more visibility outside because of much bigger aerodynamic windows and shape. So the parking and the ability to be more aware either to, you know, small children and, and obstacles in the way is much better. So the driver feels safer within that vehicle. And and I think last but not least, we've added tons of automatic uh, um, uh, sequencing that allows the driver to do far less things by themselves. So think about the fact that the moment the driver stands up, things start to happen in order for them to get the the package that they want, wherever they need it, and deliver it as quickly as possible and secure the vehicle afterwards instead of them needing to do a lot of things, which they have to repeat 100 to 150 times a day. And of course, that... You know, that reducing some of that workload on the driver also feeds back into that TCO calculation and, and makes the whole process more efficient. So last thing I want to touch on um, is uh, the, the capability of your X by wire architecture to enable automated driving. Essentially, it is automated if you think about it, right? Because, because there's no steering road, for example, or any mechanical connection, the, the, the corner, the vehicle, the platform doesn't really know if you, Sam, is behind the wheel or an AI, AI drives it, it's the same electrical uh, uh, signaling, right? And because of all the redundancy we've built in, we're ASL D ready. So basically, we're level five ready today. And the only thing that we had to do is to develop the APIs over CAN in order to allow, I think, almost all the autonomous players in the world to be able to seamlessly connect our system. And we support today two very distinct paths of communicating with us. One, which is called direct drive, is you connect an AD and the AD controls everything, right? The speed, the, 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 the turning radius, the, the deceleration, and so on and so forth, which is easy. But the more interesting part is we call a vector mode the artificial intelligence, the driver tells us where they need to go, where the vehicle needs to, to, to go from point A to point B, and re-determines all the vehicle dynamics. We will determine if we want to use front-wheel steer, rear-wheel steer, all-wheel steer, torque vectoring. How, how do we want to use the brakes? Do you want to do regenerative braking? And, and, and so many different features to allow a far better, safer, more comfortable, but far more uh, uh, reliable and that's because of the fact that there is no um, uh, retrofication of a vehicle in order to allow autonomous drivers to drive it. It's built from the bottom up to run autonomously. 
because of the bywire system and the whole redundancies within. Well, I think uh, what what you're doing at RE is is something that is going to fundamentally change the whole commercial vehicle sector in the in the coming years. And it's always great to talk to you, Daniel. And uh, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, and looking forward for you to drive one or one other vehicle that we've got. Looking forward to it.